1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, is where we're going to be, verses 3 through 10. And uh, just as we get going this morning, um, I would like to talk about Bruno, okay? No, no, everyone knows we don't talk about Bruno. We're not talking about Bruno. That is not going to happen. Uh, but we are going to talk about this guy. Here's what I want. Uh, anyone know who this is? Print. Go ahead. Real loud, Laura. Nico's got it. What do you got, Nico? Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. You're right. That is exactly who it is. Now, when we first meet this guy in the movie Frozen, by the way, those of you maybe with no kids or not Pixar, Disney fans, you're like, what is Bruno and what is this person? Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about Disney movies, Pixar, all that stuff. So, um, smash hit Frozen. You may have heard of it. There was a Frozen 2. When we first meet this guy, um, call it out. Tell me what this guy is like. What do we know of this guy when he sort of first shows up in the story? What's he like? Eli? Yeah, he's nice. He wants to date Anna. What else? Charming. Charming. Absolutely, he's charming. What else? Yeah. Handsome. Handsome. He has a bunch of older brothers. He has a bunch of older brothers. Yeah. So we sort of... All right, Nico, what do you got, buddy? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so here's what we see in him. Doesn't he seem really sincere? He's funny, he's, he's approachable, he's easy to get to know. There's a certain sense of him uh, being dashing and all of that. Um, but Hans has a different side to him, doesn't he? Um, let me show you a different picture. Uh, what is he actually like? As the story unfolds, what is Prince Hans of the Southern Isles actually like? Let me hear some things called out. Yeah. He's a cruel man. Yeah, what else? A hunter, okay. He's mean. Yeah, Laura. He's, he's a villain. That's exactly right. He's all these things, he's all these things that he actually uh, presented himself one way, but he's totally different than all of that, right? And what's more is this. He is motivated to marry Anna purely for greed, okay? There was something totally different going on. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. The Bible tells us that Prince Hans is not just a made-up character. That Prince Hans in this movie Frozen actually rings true with us because there are real Prince Hanses out there. And here's the thing. We must not be Anna. What does Anna do? She breaks out in song. She shares sandwiches. And she wants to get married on day one. Right? We are talking about false teachers. We're talking about people who present themselves one way, but actually later in the story are something totally different. And what the Bible is going to equip us today is to, is to help us, again, not be honest, not be falling for Prince Hans's. Now, God has blessed you with two ears. Touch your ears right now. Just humor me for one second, okay? Thank God that we have ears, we have ears that are connected to the rest of our bodies. Hopefully, most of the time, much of the time, some of the time, they're connected to our brain so that what we hear um, actually is filtered into a thinking, a little computer in there that, that works. My mom is here, and she knows all about selective hearing. Uh, me and my three brothers, um, we could hear mom uh, really well if it was time for dinner. Not so much, even if we're right next to her, if it involved chores. So uh, we know all about that. My son Tate uh, is, is a little bit sensitive to hearing, and, um, and so we were just, he had no idea I was talking about this, but I was thinking about this today. Uh, Probably Tuesday night. I think I came home from work. I'm sort of just chilling on the couch. And he was trying to figure out if plugging your ears stops sound better than covering your ears. So we were just running these little experiments about his ears and how to do things. And as I was thinking about Tate and thinking about our ear gate this morning, um, I thought, man, this is really fitting. Because here's the thing. How we hear um, is as important as what we hear. What I mean by that is this. We're not going to talk sound waves today. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is the things that you hear are interpreted by you. They're filtered through a story. They're filtered through other characters that may be around you. They're filtered through your upbringing. They're filtered through all kinds of things. So I want to talk about um, worldview for a moment. We're reading this book as pastors and... Um, 
And there's a quote in there that I love. It says that words create worlds. Words create worlds. And they also create worldviews. I showed you this screen a few, year, a few weeks ago when we were sort of talking through worldview. And if you think about six strings of a guitar, they're a little bit like six parts of a worldview. Okay? So, for instance, God. Is there a God? If so, what is his or her or its nature? That's going to help filter the way you see the world, right? How about man? I'm not talking about man, but just human beings in general, personhood, gender. This affects things like marriage and abortion and roles and interactions that you have in this world. How about truth? Is truth objectively knowable or something else? Does truth change by time and place? These are important things. The way we think about these things shapes our worldview. How about knowledge? How do we know what we know? Is it simply experience? Like if I haven't experienced it, I can't possibly know it. Or can I lean on resources of people who have been to something or experienced something and then glean from them? How do we know what we know? Ethics is simply a matter of what is right and wrong. And future. Everyone thinks about this at some point. Oftentimes when rough things in the world are happening right now, people are dying right now around the world. We know that, but in a really particular way, we see that with Ukraine and Russia happening right now. Maybe you've had a bomb go off in your family, in your life. I was at a gravesite a couple of weeks ago. When these things confront us, we ask about our future. What happens when I die? What happens to my loved one? What happens to these people that are stepping off into eternity every single day? So your worldview shapes you. It is the lens with which you see the world. It's the big story with which you make decisions. And oftentimes it's unconscious. You don't even see it. Kind of like a pair of glasses that you would forget you're even really looking through a lens. So if your worldview shapes you, it stands to reason what shapes your worldview. And how do you guard the things that shape the the way you see the world? Here's an interesting thing, by the way. Have you noticed sometimes that many people who call themselves Christians act and think and vote and spend uh, and, and look an awful lot like people who don't call themselves Christians? If that bothers you or troubles you, I would submit to you it ought to. But here's the reason for it. The reason for it is this. People can name Jesus as Lord and share a worldview with people who don't name Jesus as Lord. So if you share a worldview, no matter what you call yourself, no matter what you label yourself, you are actually thinking, functioning, living much the same. The truth is that as Christians, uh, that fundamentally changes, shapes, corrects our worldview. Dwell well is the series that we are in. Dwell well in the house of the Lord. First Timothy is a book of the Bible written by Paul to this younger pastor, Timothy, to a church in trouble. What's one of the main troubles? Fierce wolves are going to come in and teach you wrong stuff. Oh, by the way, they're going to come from within your own church. So be on guard. Timothy, stay put. Guard what's going on here. Dwell well requires that we think well. Let me say it a different way. To live well, we need to think well. Why? Because our thoughts and beliefs drive our relationships, drive our behavior, drive the way that we interact with each other. For that to happen, to think well, we need to have our mind transformed, renewed, right? Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Go back to worldview and guitar strings for a second. I said this a few weeks ago that like guitars, people sort of get out of tune with God. So what we regularly need to do is go back and sort of tune up our strings back to a standard, back to something that's true. So Sunday mornings, we have our Bibles open. I just encourage you, uh, open your Bible and read and follow along with what we are teaching I had Ellie read the passage this morning. We're now just going to go walking through this passage because that's a standard of truth. That's a tuning fork that you can go back to and go, oh yeah, that's what God is like. That's what people are like. That's what I'm like, right? That's how we get at truth and what is right and what is wrong. So a really big theme in this book is sound doctrine. Remember this, that doctrine is quite simply just a set of beliefs 
or things taught by a group of people. So the truth is that um, to indoctrinate someone is to disciple someone. So is indoctrination good or bad? It depends on who's indoctrinating, right? And what happens is sometimes churches get the knock of, of indoctrinating people a certain way, of discipling people a certain way. Let me throw something out at you that I think is fundamentally true. I think every single one in this room and watching at home is being discipled right now by someone or something. We all are following some set of teachings, some set of beliefs. In fact, indoctrination, discipleship happens by schools, by political parties, by whole countries, by movements. And so these groups of people are teaching a certain set of doctrine And they are actually discipling people, just like the church is called to set forth a doctrine that's sound and to disciple people. So the question becomes, how can I spot good teaching from bad teaching? What helps me filter all that is coming into my ear gate? I'm so glad that you asked that question. Lean in. We're going to talk about that right now, okay? That's where the Bible's going this morning. So I want you to listen. I'm going to read the first part of what Ellie just wrote. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to listen for sort of these versus that, for right teaching versus wrong teaching, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. Let me pick up the end of verse 2, and then we'll get into our passage. Teach and urge these things, Paul is saying to Timothy. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. All right. So behind every action is a belief. Behind every one of your behaviors is is a belief. Part of my challenge to you during community groups this week is this. Take an inventory of what you do with your body, of what you do with your time, of what you do with your money, and then see if you can sort of track back why do I do those things? What is the belief undergirding those behaviors? Okay? Kind of an interesting thing to sort of stop and actually give some time to. There's an unseen inner world that is revealed by our words. There's an unseen inner world that is revealed by our words. And by words, by the way, it's not just spoken words. It's all the digital uh, things that we see. Now, here's what I want you to do for a second. I want you to take a look at our title slide this morning. And um, I want you just to tell me kind of um, what, what do you see going on? What do you see going on in this, in this picture? Think about our Bible text today. This is an open book uh, quiz. So have your text open right now. Um, but what are we looking at? What is this slide communicating? And listen, fire away. Feel, feel free to fire away and go, this is, <laughs> this is what I see. Um, and don't feel like I'm sort of goading you into the right or wrong answer necessarily. But let's have a conversation about it. What do you see? Yeah. Chaos. Okay, chaos. There's a lot going on. Yep, that's exactly right. What else? Things that make noise. Things that make noise, Okay. Modes of communication, okay? Just, just for help, because some of you may not quite uh, understand this. Can you see my little, is my red going to show up? There it is. Over here, right here. Tell us what that is, people over 30. Typewriter. typewriter over 30, probably over 50. Huh? That's, a little, that's a little typewriter, okay? Um, and so it turns into computer screens. Uh, Les is laughing. Really quick, um, you see this yellow thing right here? What is that? A telephone. Yeah, yeah, a telephone. That's how they used to look. Um, we're going really old school here. How about over here? What's that? That's a camera. The magic of taking a picture and having it develop right there in front of you, okay? So modes of communication. Les, were you, you going to add something to what we're seeing here? Old and new. Old and new, okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, people under 30, what's happening right here? What are, what are these things? What is this? Twitter, Netflix, TikTok. How does my child know those things? That's amazing. Um, <laughs> he's, he's fairly screened from some of that, but he's got it going on. Um, all right, what else? What else do you see going on here? How about the words? What are the words? Anyone see words? Is it just me? Okay, be careful little ears. What does that mean? What, what does be careful little ears mean? Guard yourself, okay? It's words to a song. Anyone recognize the song? 
Okay, there's more to it, right? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Yeah, what, what do other verses go on to talk about? By implication, it's not just ears, right? Be careful what? Little eyes, what you see. Feet, where you go, right? Where we take our body, what we let in. Ella, you nailed something. We have a part in this. We have a part to guard what's going on with, with these things, okay? All right, anyone else have any thoughts on it? There's a cross right in the center. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone have any idea? What, what, what do you think that cross is doing there? Any thoughts? Stay focused on the cross? It's sitting in the middle? Okay. Jen. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so listen. Man, thank you for that. Let me, let, me, let me tell you a few things that teach with this passage right now, okay? Do you notice that the more you looked at this, the more that it was talked about, the more that you sat with it, more sort of layers kind of came out? Maybe one thing jumped out to you, but as other people talked in community, you're like, oh yeah, I see that as well, right? When we think about people teaching doctrine, Think about this, every image that you see, every uh, written thing, whether it's with thumbs or a keyboard, every communicated thing, um, every movie that is shown, right? We have, we have the Netflix logo up here. These are all being communicated. These are all things coming out at you from a moral being. Someone is communicating something to you. I would say this, that everything coming your direction is leading you away from or toward a right, good relationship with God. It's leading you towards justice or away. It's leading you towards beauty or away from beauty. It's leading you towards good or towards bad. Is it that binary? I think it actually is. Are we ever going to understand exactly how to parse all of that? No. But what we're talking about this morning is distinguishing between those two things. Let me give you a cleared up image for a moment. Uh, I started with this image. This is the image that I began to think about, and here's what I had in mind. When we remove the clutter, we can see this really clearly. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we destroy every lofty Every, we, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God, catch this, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do I take every thought captive? Every single one? I love this picture of a cross right at the ear gate. I filter what I hear through the world-changing, life-altering thing that we've already sung about. That God knows us, calls us out of the tomb into glorious day. The most fundamental change in my life has been the cross. So as I listen, part of how I take captive every single thing that comes my way on TikTok, every song that is being sung on Spotify, actually every little caption, every little comment in the thread of things that I post, these are moral beings communicating things to me. Let me give you one more. Even the fact that I'm up here walking you through this is this. This image that you're looking at has a creator and a very specific message trying to be given to you from a moral being. You know how I know that? Because it's me, right? I put this together. I grabbed images, I angled them, I put them in terms of size and all of that. I did all of this to teach something. I do this every Sunday. I'm in part a visual learner, so I love to see this weeks from now and go, oh yeah, I can remember, my my brain can kind of pick up what we were talking about because of those things. So let this title image um, just teach you that everything coming at you, it's not partially thought out. Again, these are, these are people who are, who are putting out a message to us. So how do we know whether something is, is different? 
or isn't in accord with the words of Jesus Christ, or doesn't agree. What well, stands to reason we must know the truth, right? We must know what, what are the words of Jesus Christ, what are the ways that we think about all these different moral choices that we have to do, then we can see if something lines up or not. So a great way to guard your little ears <coughs> is to give yourself to listening, to knowing, to recognizing, and practicing the sound words of Jesus Christ. We're going to get really practical at the end, and I'm going to give you sort of a little short list just to get your brain going on some of that. But let me move on. True teachers, by the way, give themselves to learning from their master. We have many, many people who move out of the area. We're saying goodbye to Brett Tsunami in second hour. We're going to lay hands on him and pray. He's moving off to Arizona. Every one of you who moves away, I will tell you, how cliche. Come on, do something different, right? Stay. I'm just kidding. Um, but in all these people who are, who are packing up and moving elsewhere, um, what I would say to this is, man, um, let, let even the trust that you've built here, let us help you or walk with you through, or, or we're a sounding board to the church you might give yourself to. It's really important who you go and align yourself with, because things can look one end, on the front end, Prince Hans, right? And we go, man, he's just so engaging, or the teaching, or the people are so friendly, or this, that, or the other thing. But really, they're leading you. They are leading your family. They are leading your brain. They are leading your children down a path that is, that is ultimately false teaching. So verse 4 says this, that he, the false teacher, is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Is Paul having a bad day? Is he just kind of ticked off? I don't think so. I actually don't even think this is hyperbole, where he's overstating the truth. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Let me say this, that false teachers are a real, ongoing threat. Let me unpack that very quickly. Real, as in there are those who are good and true, and those who are not today. It's ongoing. This was not only a warning for the early church, but the church in every age and in every place. History bears this out. History is bearing this out right now. So it's real, it's ongoing, and it's a threat. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Paul tells us what these liars' lives produce. Look back to the, to, to the, to the Scriptures, verse 4. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the, de- deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So if we're taking notes, I don't have a whole bunch of fill-ins, but just humor me and kind of look at this list for a second. We've already seen in 1 Timothy, what are the qualifications for the shepherds of the church? Who, who's supposed to be leading the church? There are really clear qualifications for this. There are really clear qualifications for Paul saying, Timothy, teach this way. Don't teach this way. So just going through this list really quick, what is a, a true teacher? Who should you be looking to align your life with? They should be gentle. They should be patient. They should be consistent. And I love... Lucas, just uh, for sharing with us. Eli, did you bring my water to me? Thanks, buddy. It's going to help me more if it's up here. You are a rock star. Thanks for helping me out, pal. <laughs> um, I really appreciated Lucas being here. And, um, you know, a part of being a faithful preacher of the Word is to preach in season and out of season. A part of what that means um, is when, when my own faith is, is being tested, when my own faith is on a mountaintop, when my faith is just like I-5, near Bakersfield, right? Just boring and straight and flat. And I'm like, when's Disney coming? Because this is boring. I preach in season and out of season. I need, by God's grace, I need to be able to do that. And Lucas, you being up here and just serving your church family and saying, hey, I might cut out because I'm going to be crying today um, is, is just a part of that. That's, uh, that's just authenticity and that's just consistent. That's just ministering in season and out of season. We saw this earlier in First Timothy, but true teachers aim at love every time. They aim at love every single time. True teachers lead as one being led. True teachers land on truth. (laughs) They don't just stir up question after question after question. Deconstructing one's faith is all the rage right now. Many, many people are saying, I used to be a Christian and think this way. I was raised in the church and thought this way. But then I began to think for myself and X, Y, Z, and now I'm over here. 
Here's what's fascinating about all that. Isn't it easier to tear down than to, than to build up? Do you know what people let me do? I worked as a, I worked for my friend who did construction uh, for about a month between graduating San Jose Christian College and becoming a full-time pastor. Do you know what he let me do? He let me demolish a house. You know how fun that is? That is really, really fun. It's also kind of therapeutic. But I got to tear down a house. You know what he never let me do? He never let me build a house. You know why? Because I stink at building houses. I don't know the first thing of how to build a house. So he let me tear down because that's easy to do. But to properly build up, that's something altogether different. Watch for this this week even. Many, many, many people are great at questioning, great at doubting, great at picking apart, great at doing that. But they don't build anything. They don't land anywhere. There's no special nobility in tearing down and walking away and not landing on somewhere uh, that is, is building up. Let me keep going. Builds up, doesn't endlessly tear down. Peace-loving and peacemaking, not quarrelsome. Wisdom that is from above, James says, is first of all peaceable. All this conflict and rage. Is there a time to name the lie and name the liar? Yes or no? Yes. Remember the 11th commandment is not thou shall be kind. Or, right, right. Well, you should be kind, but there's, there's sort of this overemphasis in, well, that sounds mean, so I can't say that. Jesus named the lie and named the liars. Paul named the lie and named the liars. Stay away from these people, right? So there is a time and place for that. It doesn't mean your life is free from conflict, but you are peace-loving and peace-making, And if at any opportunity you can, you try to go and win the brother or sister privately. Finally, teaching produces good fruit. Look at Luke 6.45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. That's a whole lot of good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Remember I said this before? There's an unseen inner world. And the mouth reveals what's going on there. It's this passage. That's it. So inspect the fruit. Inspect the fruit of teaching. Why? Because ideas have consequences. Let me just walk you through this. If you're jotting down notes, this is right from our text. Instead of envy, which is what false teachers produce, a true teacher has a spirit of joyful celebration at the good of others. There's not a spirit of envy there. Instead of dissension, good teachers produce unity. What are the ideas? What is the lifestyle of this teacher? Is it producing unity or endless division? Instead of slander, look for truthful, gracious words. Instead of suspicion, true teachers establish, build, and nurture, and grow trust in a community. False teachers stir up friction. True teachers stir up teamwork. We find ourselves as a church either as companions or competitors. Every marriage struggles with this. Part of building oneness is that you're not competing with each other. You're compadres, right? You're working together. And so churches struggle and wrestle with this, but they guard it. We had a family that grew up here at NBC. They grew up in the Lord and they moved out of state. They asked for help picking a church. Wisely, they looked at doctrine. They said, doctrine-wise, it looks good, but you're an older Christian. Can you take a look? Absolutely. Hey, we've already met with the pastor, and, and uh, we've listened to a few of the sermons. Would you mind listening? Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a look at that. I thought it was so wise. I said, many people look at school systems, look at the housing market, look at where Target is. They never look for a church. So good on you for, for going and, like, and providing ahead of time for yourselves spiritually. They picked one and called me six, le- six months later with a dilemma. Their pastor was acting sinfully, and they were seeking input from me to see if what he was doing was wrong. They laid it out for me. I said, ah, absolutely. This is absolute sin. Here's chapter and verse, and I could go on with a whole bunch more. This is unequivocally sinful. Listen to how smart this is. They said, we thought so. And we thought we could never imagine Dave or Jim Cook doing this. Praise God. Praise God that they were close enough to Dave and Jim Cook. I'm Dave, by the way. Jim Cook is one of our elders. Praise God that they just, 
They just were in this church family. They were in amongst the shepherds. And even though they didn't have the exact language, they certainly didn't know chapter and verse, they had a sense in their spirit. Shepherds of the church should not be acting this way. And they had someone they could call, namely me, and say, hey, does this feel wrong to you? Yes. That reeks of sin. Get away as quickly as you can. And they did. This is a picture of testing the teacher as well as the teaching, right? And getting an understanding of what is the fruit of this person. You know, it's not just formal teachers that need to be evaluated. What about those podcasts that you listen to, shows that you might watch, artists that you listen to or are super into? It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Um, Some of you know people who have quite a following on a, on a podcast or on a thing, and, you're, and you know them, you're like, I don't know if they should have the following they should have. Because you can seem really, really smart and, and impressive with pretty slick marketing, um, but you're like, yeah, but I know them, and, and they shouldn't be giving marriage advice. Like, their marriage is actually kind of a wreck. So when you're watching podcasts, when you're listening to things, when you're gaining ideas, uh, we should be guarding that as well. There's sort of a spirit in the age that we live in where what the Bible is describing is really, really commonplace. Let me give you an example. Fridays typically are my day off, and, um, and this last Friday we did something, my, my wife and I, which we often do, we, we dropped the kids off at school, we went and got Phil's coffee, and then we either go for a walk sometimes or sometimes we'll sit and park and read. And let me explain what that looks like. What it looks like is this. We sit and park, we're over at Persona, and we open our books, and I read about a sentence or two, and my wife begins to talk to me. And she says, hey, what do you think about this, this, and this? I go, okay, and so we talk, and then when it seems appropriate, I go, okay. And we go back to read. I read literally one more sentence, half a sentence. Well, you know, da-da-da-da. Okay, well, we're talking here. And so really, we go and read, but we really don't do that. And so uh, this last week, you know, I mean, just like as very, very typical, we, we talk with books open in front of us. That's kind of what we're actually doing. And she goes, sorry, I have one more thing. She's, she said, I just really like you and I like talking to you. And, and when you have a lot of kids and you don't get a lot of personal private space with adult time, I get it. So I'm like, okay, boop, we put the book down. That way there's no confusion of what we're actually doing here. So we were talking, reading, talking, whatever. We were there. And as we're there, uh, she begins to read this post about a fellow adoptive family And this child had this incredibly rough start to her life. She was born in China, adopted into a family. And the post finished up with these words. Yes, this is how the first three years began. But since God writes the best story, this little girl is now chosen and loved and named. Our Mackenzie Tai. And then she wrote these words. She said, today, that sad, hopeless little girl is the happiest, most joy-filled child you will ever meet. She radiates life and energy to everyone who crosses her path. When I look at Mighty Mac, um, when I look at Mighty Mac, uh, reminder daily that hope was worth the fight. She's reading me this post on some random Friday morning, and I'm wiping tears away just thinking, yes! And it's so good, and it's taking us back to our own story. And then the very first comment on this post was from a woman named Lori. And here's what Lori writes. Is she okay with you sharing such private details of her beginnings? Now, let me just say that whoever posted this, I didn't show you this, but right below this, a super gracious reply that says, absolutely, Mackenzie tells her story of redemption to anyone who will listen. The the, the private parts of her story are not shared above. This is the G-rated version. Super gracious response. Here's what I want to point out about in light of our text today, okay? What Lori posted has way more to say about what's going on with Lori and her own heart and where her frame of mind is than the family. That's often the case. I want you to watch for that. There's a certain arrogance in assuming that she knew better. There's a public shaming by calling this mom out in a very public space to sort of, to sort of call her out on this. Is oversharing a thing? Yes. If oversharing is suspected, what are the ways she could have done? She could have private messaged this person. That's how you do it, people. 
Don't post it on the first thing. That's so arrogant. That's so puffed up with conceit. So if you're really looking out for this person, private message them and do it in a gracious way. Hey, you guys are the ones living this. I'm sure you've thought of this. I feel a concern for the child's story. How do you navigate that? Isn't that a way better way than just immediately sort of going this direction? And then finally, missing the whole point of the goodness of God, it sets a tone of dissension, of slander, of evil suspicion. The very things in our text today. I'll tell you where that comes from. Conceit. There's a a certain pride there. Sometimes people know just enough about these things that they're really, really, really dangerous. Many times, we get loads of comments from people. We sort of can't hide that we're an adoptive family. We don't try to, but we sort of just can't hide it when we're out and about. 95% of the time, God just, I don't know, God has filled both my wife and I with loads of grace about this kind of thing, and people say really dumb, hurtful things. Very ignorant things, actually. Sometimes really hurtful things. 95% of the time, I just, the Spirit of God's with me, and we just sort of graciously navigate. I love this mom's response. She could have gone a whole bunch of different directions than that. She didn't. And then the comments went on, just all these great things, catching the goodness of God's story and that hope really is worth the fight. But this is the spirit of the age we live in. Don't buy into it. If that's you, stop it. Is this building the person up? Is this according to the need of the moment? Is this for them or is this for me? Now again, I don't know Lori. Lori may have had a whole family situation in which everyone in her life didn't protect her and overshared. I get that. That's a broken place. And so Lori can graciously be discipled and mentored into, hey, here's a different way of doing that, a better way, a more loving way. Let's get back to the church setting for a moment. Remember that the church is God's household. It is a pillar and support of the truth. That means that as a church, we are, we are to be as Christians a call sign to the, to the ethics of God, to, to celebrating and naming and calling out and being a witness for what is true. And in this very building, when we gather in Bible studies and community groups, as we discuss and talk with people, we ought to be bearing out that truth. We ought to be modeling what these things look like. Shepherds of the church are tasked with guarding the doctrine of the church. It's one of the main things that we're called to as shepherds of the church. But so is every member of the church. The church is to build itself up in love. As you grow up in your understanding, church, it is your responsibility to do this. If a teacher in the church is teaching ideas that are counter to sound doctrine, sound the alarm. Now, there's a way to do that. Jim talked a couple of weeks ago, or maybe um, Andres did, about not bringing a charge too quickly against an elder. Get your facts straight, right? Don't do it publicly. Don't do it this way. But there's a sense you ought to sound the alarm. I love it. I have had people come and say, hey, you said this. And I go, I'm pretty sure I didn't say that. I would never say that. He goes, I didn't think you'd say that because that's heresy, right? Yeah, that's heresy. We both agree on heresy. Now, did I say it or not? (laughs) But if you're bringing it, maybe other people heard it that way. That's sounding the alarm. If a teacher in your church is argumentative, hungry for an argument, lacks patience and gentleness that is required of the shepherds of the church, sound the alarm call the teachers out on that. If a teacher in your church is consistently producing envy, dissension, suspicion, and friction, sound the alarm. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us to. And if a teacher in your church is using the position for self-gain rather in service of others, sound the alarm. In case I'm not being blunt enough, let me make this really clear. I am one of the primary teachers of this church. I have massive blind spots, church. I am asking you to hold me accountable. In fact, I'm doing more than that. I'm actually commanding you in the Lord to hold me accountable to this. And I will do that with the others that come and teach as well. What we're doing here on Sunday mornings is not passive but active. I have a responsibility to teach expositionally, to actually expose and show you what is in the Scripture. You have a responsibility, and when I'm not teaching and I'm sitting in the front row taking notes, I have a responsibility to listen that way. Is this what the Word of God is actually saying? 
Let me tell you where this is nurtured. This is nurtured in every Christian household. We have a passion at this church, a desire at this church, that every Christian household is in miniature on a daily basis doing what we do as a church family on a weekly basis. This question we had last week from our New City Catechism, a tool I would highly recommend to you whether you have children or not, but it's especially fitting if you have children. We grab one week, one question per week, and we try to review and memorize that question and answer. But look at this. How is the Word of God to be read and heard? That's so fitting with our text today. How is the Word of God to be read and heard? Here it is. Eli, do you, do you have it before I put it up? Okay, we reviewed this yesterday. He had no idea this was coming as a pop quiz. Um, what's great about a large family is usually someone's got one of the questions, and they start us off. And we're like, oh yeah, that's the one. Okay, here it is. With diligence preparation, and prayer, so that we may accept it with faith and practice it in our lives. Isn't that a great little succinct answer? Before you open your Bible tomorrow for quiet time, how is the Word of God to be read and heard? Well, in some specific ways. Diligence means that Uh, I'm going to keep at it even when I don't feel like it. Preparation means I've got a Bible reading plan going on. And with prayer means this is a spiritual activity. But it doesn't sit there. It's so that I can accept it by faith and practice it in my lives. That's golden. That's how we should listen to it. Your muscle, by the way, to discern good from evil grows with use. Look at Philippians chapter 1. This is an amazing passage. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. Let me give you one more, Hebrews chapter 5, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Do you know your powers of discernment can grow? Of course they can. How? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You get better at this as you practice it, as you use it. So do this in the day, uh, daily small things. Let me show you a little example. This might be the daily picking of, of good and bad, right? Someone says something, you're like, that feels a little bit off. How do I discern and test that? God, can you help me see if this lines up? Uh, maybe this is something that your teacher, your friend, your boss, a podcast says. You test it, you think about whether it lines up with your Lord Jesus Christ. If something goes wrong with this, what are the consequences? Not that big a deal. You fall, you might skin a knee, whatever, but you just get back up, Right? But what if you do this, every conversation, every word coming in, every movie coming in, every song coming in, and you're just distinguishing, is this actually true? Is this pointing me towards a good relationship with God, or is it not? Here's what happens. You do that day after day after day, and then you come across really, really big scenarios. This is a picture of a guy walking a high wire across the Grand Canyon. There's going to come a time when Prince John of Milpitas comes to you. And he wants your hand in marriage, and he's charming, and he's approachable, and he's super funny, and he's outgoing where you're kind of shy. And he's so witty, and he's so smart, and he's so successful. He seems so upwardly mobile. And you've got to make this decision. Do I share a sandwich and get married, or do I run for my life from this person? Those are some of the big decisions. Practice in the little things, so when the really big things come... You're already, you're, you're already there and ready for it. All right, let me invite the band to come on up. Um, I want to have the band lead us in a song that sort of takes some of the words we're talking about and it puts it in song, okay? Um, while they're doing that, let me just say this, that exhibit A of a deprived mind that cannot please God because it doesn't know God is imagining, verse 5, that godliness is a means of financial gain. Imagining that godliness is a means of financial gain. People have all kinds of different opinions on money. Let me say this about a Christian. Christians love people and use things. Let me say that again. Christians love people and use things. Think about what happens if you invert those things, where you use people and love things. You want to fast track to a miserable life? Use people and love things. Money's a thing. Money's a tool. Money's a gift. 
Money's a responsibility. Makes a horrible boyfriend or girlfriend. Terrible lover. Don't love money. It leads to a host of terrible things. This song is called Slow Fade. Just listen to the song, how it goes. It, it, it's, it's saying this, that these things don't happen overnight. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Listen to the things that happen when we fall in love with money. Not come in contact with money, because being rich or poor is not inherently evil or, 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 or good. It's what you think about it. It's how you interact with it. It's what's going on in your internal world. Love money is the root of all kinds of evil. People fall into temptation. They're ensnared. They're plunged into ruin and destruction. Some have even wandered away from their faith. You want to talk about a terrible exchange. Wander away from the faith for money. I can't tell you the sheer amount of misunderstanding there is around this. I was a dirt poor college student scraping to get by. I was working at a, at a bank on West San Carlos Street, Bank of the West. We had a new employee. She said, well, what, do you, what do you do when you're not in the bank? I said, well, I'm starting to be a pastor. Immediately she goes, oh, there's good money in that, isn't there? <laughs> I checked to see if she was kidding. She wasn't. And here's what I told her. I said, not if you're doing it right. And then I actually went on to say, I said, why did you say that? She said, well, the pastors at my church, they get the front row of the parking. We see the kind of car they drive. They dress the best. And I just thought, man, thank you, Lord, for sparing me from that whole tradition that esteems and elevates and imagines in a depraved way that, that godliness is somehow a means of financial gain. And that God's favor on me rests if my life's going good and my health is going good and my bank account is going up. Nonsense. Crazy talk. Run from that. Listen to Slow Fade. I'm going to come back up at the end and give you some very practical things of how to guard our ears. Okay? Again, take it away. Man, thanks, band. That nails it. That's not our desire, is to, is to slow fade. Not it at all. Think about this, you guys, that um, faithful men and women through the centuries have contended for the faith such that we are handed today a pure gospel. We're not following, as Paul said, don't follow another Christ. There are others, that, those that claim to be saviors, claim to be Christ. Don't follow that one. We have a pure gospel and a pure record and, and relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Now it's our turn. Men, women, teens, children, it's our turn to contend for the faith. Some of those contend for their faith with their blood. I hope in your prayers you're praying for the Christians of Ukraine and the Christians of Russia, that they would cling to this reality that they are citizens of heaven. And um, that they'd be strong in this time of testing. That God would use this actually to break open spiritual things. Let me go to this slide. Why, why do you think this guy is so happy? I'll show you, okay? Right here. See, see this right here? It's because his, his ears are protected. That's why. That's why he's happy. You can be happy too. Let me give you five things to jot down. I'm going to make this really quick. Don't overlook Sunday mornings. Don't overlook the importance of what we're doing right here in flexing our muscle and training our minds to distinguish good from evil. This is a really important thing for us. Number two is join or remain committed to your community group, to a Bible study. Gather with other Christians, open the word and fellowship. Test each other as iron sharpens iron. Hey, Dave said something that rang totally not true with me. Do you guys see that? I read the scriptures this way. Number three is this, study. I can't tell you how thrilled I am. The number of people who've taken... Uh, reading the Word of God every day this week. I'm hearing just reports back and seeing it around that people are reading their Bible. Sometimes for the very first time. Sometimes they're picking it back up. Most people are need-to-know type people. Here's what I mean by that. If I just tell you go study theology, a handful of you will. Matt and Tracy, probably that's what they do on their date nights, right? They go study theology. Cool, right? We're the weird ones. But here's the reality. Most of you go, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll let Matt and Tracy do that. But when the problem of pain comes up, 
study the Bible on what God has to say about pain and suffering. When unanswered prayers come along, give yourself to the study of God's word. When someone says something that sure sounds like it dismantles the faithfulness or the, or the coherency of the scriptures, study it. Lean in and study in that moment about that. If you are wrestling with pride, being a slanderous person, judging people, being quick to anger, being slothful, study it. Say, God, help me. Help me see what the scriptures have to say about this because I need to grow up in this. Number four is to make disciples. Quite simply, you grow as you help others grow, period. Nothing more to say on that. Number five, go back and inspect the fruit of teachers and teachings. We live in the crazy world society of quickly moving on to the next thing, quickly moving on to the next thing, quickly moving on to the next thing. And if you look back even two weeks, six months, you go, that person just said this. It's led to this horrible thing. Now they're saying this and blaming it on someone else. But if you tie it back, it leads to the idea that ideas have consequences. They planted in one season. We're living it out in this season. Why is no one thinking about this? Church, think about it. Consider what I say. Consider what the scriptures say. Consider what's coming in your ear gate. As we pass the offering for the first time in two years, yes, we're going to actually pass a bag this morning. If you're new with us, I'll tell you what I want from you. I just want a card saying you're here. Trust us with your name, your cell phone, your email. I'd love to just reach out to you, say hi, say glad you're here. For many of you, a regular part of your worship is giving. Let me say, you want to know how to cultivate contentment? You want to know how to do a little heart check on your own self? A physical act of clicking bill pay yes if you do it digitally or physically doing something in the bag on Sunday morning is a declaration of independence from money. It's a declaration of our contentment to say, God, all that we have is yours. I'm such a joyful steward of this. That's the hope that we want. Let me read this psalm and we close with one song psalm 73 whom have i in heaven but you and earth has nothing i desire besides you my flesh and my heart fail but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever god thank you so much for this morning uh, for the gift of being together Uh, god as we sing this last song together lord help us to sing it unto you amen